Okay. Today's uh, topic, we called it a master class. Today's topic, master class, is how to prepare a drusha. Um, this, I think, in many levels is more helpful than how to prepare a shear because it's more likely than not that most people are going to be asked to be give to give a speech somewhere, whether at your cousin's sheva brachas or at your uh, uh, your mother's bat mitzvah, what, whatever it is, you're going to be asked. I don't know. Whatever it is, you're going to be asked to, to share a few words. And I think the art of creating a drusha, I'll, I'll teach you in general how to create a drusha in case the Rav of the Shul says he's going to step out of town for a few days, can you fill in? But you could use the same mechanism, of course, for delivering a speech in any context, in any context that you're in. And I'll try to break it down into two parts. I think part of it is, as people brought up yesterday, how you actually find the material to give over, which is significant. And number two is, uh, but number one, we're going to focus on first is the the style, the content, the delivery, those aspects. So first of all, um, I always try. Uh, you you want to work with the token first, I believe. You know, sometimes uh, people think they have an interesting thing happen in the world. Uh, I don't know. The first time ever, the Houston Astros. Uh, you know, they became. Uh, they won the World Series five years in a row. So they want to talk about that. So they want to talk about that. Or it's the Yurtzeit of, uh, or it's the birthday of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's 120. So they want to talk about that. Some people work from the event and then go backwards. Um, sometimes you need to do that. If there's a particular event, you need to do that. I, I, I prefer to start with the Torah first and then go the other way. And then go the other way. And then build and construct uh, around that. Let the Torah, because the problem is, if you start with the idea you want to talk about, let's say you want to talk about uh, a message of, uh, the, fine, the Rebbe turning 120, and you want to talk about um, the Rebbe's contribution, so it's an easy way then to prepare the drush. It really is, because it lays itself out. Because, and I, here, you know, since we started with that, I'll use that, and I'll give you an example how to do that. So if you're talking about, let's say you need to talk about uh, the Rebbe's 120th birthday. I'd make it very simple. I would take three contributions of the Lubavitcher Rebbe that are significant to the Oilam that you're talking to. That means something, and would mean something to them uh, in the Oilam that you're talking to. You'd pick three. How are you going to find that? Let's say, number one, if you're not a Lubavitcher. Or let's say you are, and you're not sure what to do. I'd make it very easy for yourself. I would email, send an email for one is most significant contribution. I would email Rabbi Jacobson. I would send an email to your local Chabad rabbi in town. Ask him his opinion. Send out 10 emails. See what they answer you back as the most significant contribution. Pick three of them. Pick three of them. Now that you have those three, one, two, and three, you then need to just find the tie-in into the Parsha and then wrap it up with a conclusion and you're home free. You have yourself a whole drusha that could take you maybe an hour to prepare. I'm very against people winging drushes. I'm very against it. Um, I think it, um, it means that you don't take the people that you're speaking to seriously enough. It means you didn't take them seriously enough at all. I'll get up there, oh, I'll say whatever. I'll just, I, I've learned a bunch of things, I'll get up. I hate when people get up and they lean on a stender when they're speaking. Because um, already, it, it, yeah, it's homey, it's down to earth. But it already, it, it's, again, it, you're giving nothing to it. You're not giving anything to it. Uh, I personally... It, it, it's like, you know... Are you chilling out? 
You're chilling out. You're not taking the oilum seriously. This is an oil. You have a big, you have a bigger chayis on your head right now. You're about to, in some way, let's say you're talking about a chassan and kala, a shevabrach. It's your cousin's wedding. You're leaning on a thing. You're about to make sure that the people all who came in from Cedarhurst and this one and that one, who never met this guy, give them the moment that they deserve. That's why I'm against leaning on, I'm against leaning on standards when you speak. I hate it. Uh, another pet peeve, another pet peeve of mine is, um, and, and is when people are stam just um, reading out of something the whole time. I find that sometimes people will do that with a sicha from the Rebbe. Since the Rebbe had such a, uh, you know, a wide uh, array of knowledge, such a large, vast knowledge, and the Rebbe uh, lays it out so beautifully. So the rabbi will get up there, lean on the shtender, and just start going through a sicha. Uh, if it's a shear, that's great. That's a shear. It's something else. That's yesterday's topic. Today's topic is preparing a drush, preparing a speech. You're giving a speech, you don't do that. That's no preparation. You're opening, you're just reading through, flipping pages. That doesn't count. To me, it doesn't count. You got to take the olam seriously, no matter what it is. Doesn't mean you can't have fun. Doesn't mean you can't open with a joke. Doesn't mean any of that. It means the craft of putting together a drusha is a serious thing. It's a serious avoda, and you have to take the group seriously. Okay, so let's come back around. So in an event, when you have a special event, sometimes it comes together where you could pick the idea and then work backwards. The Rebbe turned 120. We are going to talk about three contributions of the Rebbe and then bring it home. The way I actually would bring it home now that I'm thinking about it is I would think about some Dvar Torah related to the age of someone being 120. Where do we get it from? Right? You talk about Moshe Rabbeinu being 120 and his leadership and what he meant to the Dar Midbar that there was going to be hope even after he was gone. Whatever it is, you'd wrap around to the significance of 120 after three contributions and then send everybody out to the Kiddush or send everybody home. Okay, that's one way. Now, we'll get to, you know what, I'll, I'll do special events uh, soon, pigeon event, all of that. Uh, you saw, you must be that Chumash over there, right there. I, I believe firmly that if you understand the Torah is Nitzchias and HaKadosh Baruch Hu has every word, every letter is infinite, you don't have to go fishing for the perfect vort. Because more often than not, the, the way it felt to you is not necessarily it's going to feel to everybody else. Like you may have loved it when you heard it, that doesn't mean everyone else is going to love it too. So my point is like, it's not about finding the perfect Vartar. Let me keep leafing through 40 Svarim until I find something. I think if you open up the Parsha and you just start reading through it, I'm a believer the Parsha will speak to you. And from there, you already have a, a, um, a kernel of an idea, a kernel of an idea what to go with. So let's say it's here. Let's go to Achremos. We can't. This is safer, gracious. So let's say we're going. You want to go first? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We can do bracious. It's fine. That's fun. We can have fun with bracious. No problem. Okay. Pick a parsha and bracious. Go ahead. Pick a parsha and bracious. What parsha? Oh, you found it. Okay. Fine. Here we go. Okay. Thank you. Here we are. Achremos. I opened up a page in Achremos. It says, "Ushmartem atem es chukosai et mishpotai lo sasumi kola toevo ela haezrach hager hagar besochachem hager hagar besochachem." Okay, already the word besochachem or the ger hagar besochachem is already ringing in my ears. What's a ger hagar besochachem? Then you just look, just look basic. Just stay rishonim on the page. Just stay very simple. What's hager hagar besochachem? Let's open it up here. We have here a chumish that's open and. A, you know what? 
The Pasuk before, V'takia Eretz Yashver. Tell me Eretz Yashver, V'takia Eretz Yashver. The land will spit out its inhabitants. Eben Ezra, Kol Mashiachia Adam Hu Nisav Be'enav. Anything that a person vomits out is disgusting then. Yuck, right? So, so, yaki, to spit out. I'm looking at this word, I'm feeling it, I'm sitting with it. I'm thinking already. Sounds a lot like Haket Shenev by the Russia, by the Ben Russia. Haket Shenev, knock out. It's about, wait, maybe it's about causing him to throw something up, to get something out of him. That's, Hashem wants to takia eretz yoshveha. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu cannot stand for the land to have a people who are not taking the land seriously of the Kedusha of what that land demands. Right? Why the Lubavitcher Rebbe felt you can't just go pop in and visit when you want. He was against that. Right? Takia eretz yoshveha. Right? He'll spit it out. Heket shenov. The Russia wants to, um, you know, ruin what Hashem has gave him. To spit it out. To bring it out. So already there you have a framework for what to talk about. You have a framework. And the idea is purging out of you, of taking out of you the things that never should have gone in, the things that never should have come in in the first place. Easy way to formulate drushas if you're speaking in a shul, classify things into three. But people make a mistake, and I, I've seen this a lot, and I think it takes the audience out of play. Actually, I did it this morning by accident. You, you start on a run of, of sources really articulating the same idea over and over. Okay, let's say it would be get rid of the bad stuff. Okay, get rid of the bad stuff. Avram smashed idols, proof number one. Number two, we hit the Russia in the mouth. Number two, number three. And ready to think of another get rid of bad stuff? Getting rid of the chametz before Pesach. What? Kashris, you per... What? Tashlich, you're throwing away the bad stuff. All I just did there was give three examples of the same thing. So my drusha was 20 minutes, 16 minutes, is sweet, 14 to 16 minutes is the current sweet spot, I believe, in an average shul. 14 to 16 minutes. If you go 11 minutes, they will love you, but make sure you pack in your token well. We'll talk about the 11 minute drusha. But 14 to 16 is now where people are holding at best on a good day. That's where people's minds are. The days are when rabbis could go 25, 45 minutes, forget it, you're finished. There's not a chance. There's not a chance. Maybe the after they had the tea room and the dinner and they're sitting, where else are they going to go? But people in shul are sitting there waiting for a kiddish, waiting to go. You go longer than 14 to 16, don't even, you're out. They'll throw you out. Like Rabbi Gamliel from in Yavna. Okay, now, so, where was I? Yeah, so I wouldn't do this type of thing where you have one mahalach and you show it three times. Don't do that, it's not exciting. What I would do is think to myself, I would take out a sketch pad. I like using this or any pad that's around. I take out a sketch pad and I start writing. I say to myself, okay, I have this idea of ridding, of ridding ourselves of things that shouldn't be there. What I then try to think of is three different and unique distinctions within that. What do I mean? Sometimes you're ridding because you can't find the thing that you want anymore. It's got so dirty. That's one aspect of removal. You're cleaning so you could find what you want. Second, I'm ridding because it's ruining the system. It's ruining the house. It's ruining the system. All the junk is ruining the system. Can someone give me a third din in ridding? One is because I want to find the thing I like. Two is it's ruining the system. And three, I don't always have it right away. By the way, you sit with your paper for a few days. What? Make room for something else. Make room for new things to come in. Now you have three ideas on, on this removal, on this takia aretz et yoshver. Three aspects. Now you've got three ideas. Now you, can, now you look for three divrei Torah. Three short divrei Torah. One on this, one on that, one on that. Okay? 
So now you're talking about, what was the first one? About you can no longer find what you're looking for anymore. Right? No longer searching for the thing that is really valuable in our lives. We no longer recognize, right? The Baal Shem Tov writes, based on the Arizal, that when we were in Mitzrayim, Das was in Golis. Our minds left. What does that mean our minds left? One possibility, one shot, is we no longer valued the right things anymore. We brought in so many corrupt ideas that we can no longer think what was valuable, what was important. That's why we couldn't hear when Hashem, Moshe wanted to take us out. We couldn't hear it. The frequency couldn't hear it because there was so much gil within us. We had to get it out. So that's one Vartara. What's the middle idea of getting rid of the mess? Because why? It's, uh, it's, the first was finding the valuable thing. Number two is, is corrupting the system, right? It's corrupting the system on it. So many layers corrupting the system. You have to think of a Dvar Torah for that. And the third one is, oh, by the way, that's Tashlich. The Tashlich is you're going into Rashanium, going into Yom Kippur, and you want to achieve Tahara, but how in the world could you achieve Tahara if you have all the other, it's, it's Tovel Besher, it's Biyado. You're trying to go into the mikvah with uh, all this junk over there. So that's two, that's the Tashlich example. And then number three was, the third was, um, what was it again? Making room for new things to come into our lives. Making room for new things. We filled our space with so much stuff that's wasting our time, that's drawing us away to removal. And that you can go into the value of Eretz Yisrael, that it's time that we bring in, we brought in so many amazing yeshivas. Eretz Yisrael now is where all the great, most of the great gedolim are, bringing in that which is more valuable into Eretz Yisrael. One, two, and three. See, that's no longer boring because you took your one idea and instead of repeating it three times, you broke it down into three aspects. You broke it down into three aspects. What I would also do is I would also make each one very applicable to people's lives. Very real to people's lives. Because if you stay up here, it's nice and it's exciting, but you gave me nothing to work with. You gave me nothing. When I go home to my family and they want to talk about what did the rabbi say today or what did the guest speaker today or what did the Cholomoid, the kid who's here from Cholomoid, who's giving a shir, what did they, what, what did they say? You got to give them something that they could take away from it, right? You, you, darsh, you, you, you learn and then you give them something to take away from it. So let's take the first one. So the first one, it, and again, now what you do is you find something very tangible that is there in somebody's life. So this format, I think, works very well for darshaning. Again, if you're the person who ends up speaking every single Shabbos, a year and a half straight, you're going to have to change up the format to keep interest. But this is a great template format to use for your drusha. Now, as far as opening, as far as opening, here's my folder of coming up openings for the next two months. Anything I find quirky and interesting, I save it in the folder and it goes here for the next, till it's done, till I use most of the stuff and I replace. For example, I don't know yet how I'm gonna use it, but this is the stuff I have here. Um, I have over here in this, um, there's a new photo of Rav Yisrael Salanter in the Barrel Wines new book that he put out. There's a whole debate now whether or not that's Rav Yisrael Salanter. It's quirky, it's an interesting topic. You don't have to go to sports. Rabbis feel like they always need to go to sports or politics. You don't need to do that. This is interesting enough to get people listening right from the top. Imagine you, imagine the, imagine your, here's a picture in the book of Rabbi Sol Salanter. A whole brew erupted. It's not really him. It's not really him. How do you know the person you're looking at is for real? Let's talk about what it means to be real. And then you darshan on, on that. You, you understand? You take your, 
And once I know what my subject is, now I work backwards. I'll tell you another one that I saved. This is all stuff I just say. You read online, blogs, someone tells articles, whatever it is. I'll tell you where to look in the content part of the share. Okay, uh, next over here. I saw an article online about the matzah bakery of Dnipro in Ukraine. There was a matzah bakery over there in ancient Bakery. Everybody's thinking about Ukraine now. You give them a little nugget about the last matzah bakery of Dnipro in Ukraine. Who's not going to be interested for the first two minutes? When you go to the Torah, I can't promise to listen anymore. But the matzah bakery in Ukraine, the last one, everybody will be listening. Everybody. And by the way, what do you do with that? I didn't read the whole story yet, so I have no clue. But let's say it's about holding on to what's left while life falls apart. That's going to be easy message once you get to it. That's going to be an easy message. Um, the kosher poultry shortage happening right now in the world because of this, the bird flu that went around. That's a little nice nugget. Everything I think seems so dark here that I've been saving. Um, the great wrap controversy. Why don't we use the matzah that's wrapped that you can wrap and make a sandwich? Doesn't korach sound like it should have been a sandwich? Now your job in a drush is not to start giving a whole halachic discourse. But you're just dropping a little... Ah, something for them to picture, something visual, something they could think about, something they could, you know, go into and explore. And because of that, um, that becomes something uh, significant. Let's see. All right. Anyways, you get the point. I, I keep this chazerai in here, uh, a random stuff that I think would be, oh, the Lakewood boom. Uh, what else is in here? Uh, the vanishing of the Strachun library. I love the image of a library that's vanishing. I just think it's colorful. You open up a drush about a library that was once something important, but is now fading away and is going away because everybody's online. So again, my point's like this. It's not going to help, yes, if you don't read anything. If you don't read anything, where are you going to get all this? Okay, so I'm not saying you have to subscribe suddenly to Reader's Digest. But you just, if you're a person who's going to be darshaning, you've got to keep your ears open. I have another trick for you. I have another trick. Live life with the Yasod that everything has a story. Everything has a story. Mamish everything. That Tzedakah box right there, who made that? How did that get here? Who thought to bring that Tzedakah box here? Anybody know how that got here? What, who brought it here? Who made it? Where'd they buy it from? The metal for the supply, for the parts to put it together. Who put in that first order? Imagine you started tracing it back and back. You're not going to do this, but imagine you're going to trace it back and back. Hypothetically, there's a story somewhere along the way. The guy who supplies the hinge that connects it is struggling to survive in Buenos Aires. He, he makes these for a living and he can no longer get... This is, everything has a story. If you recognize that everything could be interesting in life if you just pay attention to it, there's a story behind everything. And everyone has a story. If you talk to people and you listen to them, figure out why they are the way they are. You ask them questions, you get the stories. And if you're somebody who's gonna be speaking a lot or being asked to speak, you gotta write these down. You gotta save these. They're gonna come in handy and you'll use them. That's why some, some Rabbanim, their only chance ever to see anybody or talk to anybody is on flights. I know one Rav, the only time he ever has a story is who he sat next to on the plane. I sat next to a Gentile on the plane. He doesn't see a Gentile the whole year. So there's no other Gentile stories. On the plane, he's always with a Gentile. And he asked me, what are those tefillin? Rabbis wait for flights just so they have something to say. You don't have to wait for your flight to see a Gentile, to see a tefillin, to see a this. There's stuff everywhere that you could find. Stories over here. You're schmoozing with the guy, takes you in the golf cart to the room to hear the room. Ask him, does he like it here? Get a story. There's stories everywhere. I'm telling you, they're, they're all over. You just have to capture them and put them down. When you have it, you have your opener. You draw them in that way. 
make it visual, make it colorful. Don't make it, never begin with something that's abstract. How do we feel about change in our lives? You're so finished if you start about that. You're finished. It's, there's nothing to touch. There has to be something to touch at the beginning. I could see a Strachun library if you paint the picture for the people that are sitting there. This ancient library with cobwebs on the door. I like to steal things for myself, by the way, for drushes. What do I mean I like to steal things for myself? I was walking by near the front of the hotel looking for the room. I saw there was a tombstone there. There's a tombstone there. Mamish by the front of the property over there. I don't know what it's doing there. I said to myself right away, that's mine. That's mine. What I mean is, you take stuff for yourself to use for drushes. I don't know what it's there. You can come up with a story. You could develop a story, an imaginary story, a mushal. A mushal, how a beautiful hotel. Someone's at the front as a reminder that life is, life is passing, fleeting. I, just take, take things that you see along the way and use it. You don't have to be reading hundreds of books. You don't need a Reader's Digest subscription. You don't need to be on the airplane, right? It just, it's, it's mamish all over. And the point is you want to open up your drushes in a way that um, you have a connection point um, to people, that you have a connection point, something visual. Now from there, once you save enough of them, you have 20 to 25 pieces, one of them are going to tie even loosely. It's okay loosely. You're just trying to get their interest even loosely to what you have to say. For example, the, stra- the, the, the closing of the Strachin library. All the good books have been removed from there. It's just junk. I haven't read the articles. I don't know yet, right? But let's say that's what it's about, right? Now our drusha about purging. Let me talk to you today about what it means to take value or to remove things from somewhere that don't need to be there. Boom, go to your Pusik. Go to your Pusik. At this point, you cannot stay too much longer in your drusha without creating a problem. I talked about this yesterday in the, on the how to construct a shear. You need to create tension at this point. You need to bother the people in some way. Create a problem that's not solved. So I look at the Pasuk. The land will spit you out. I thought we have a haftacha that we're going to come back to the land. Spit me out. What's going to happen now in modern Israel? So many secular Israelis. Is Hashem on the verge of spitting us out? Create, that one is too hard to raise because you're not going to have an answer. But create some problem at the outset. Whether it's a stira in the Ebenezer, Ezra. Whether it's a challenge in the Pasuk. Look at the Mephorshim on this Pasuk. See what they have to say. You can go online and type in the Pasuk. You could put in, you could put in uh, the words. You can type in the words Ibn Ezra, space, Achremos, 1825. And see what comes up. You'd be surprised. Create a problem. Right now you've got to create a problem. Because if you don't create tension, you'll lose people. Because you just got them excited with a nice visual story or some element that was visual and tactile. If you then don't go ahead now and follow it up with a problem, a classic, like it's so classic that you lose people by saying in this week's Parsha. In this week's Parsha, it's famous that's, that people tune out. In this week's Parsha, you don't need to say the words in this week's Parsha. People have a problem with it. Just create a problem right away. This is how I would do it. The Strachin Library the last remnant of the great beautiful libraries of the world, impressive Judaica, now its halls are empty, there's cobwebs, there's nothing there but pamphlets and leaflets that people left from a banquet uh, of the Jewish shul in Montreal, I, whatever it is, I didn't read the article again, okay? But let me talk to you about what it means to have the wrong things there, or what it means to remove things from the library. There's a problem this week. There's a big problem this week's Parsha. 
And the problem is the Pasuk tells us that if we are impure, the land will spit out its inhabitants. The problem with that is, okay, raise your tension, raise your issue. Then you go into your solution, your mahalach, your dvar Torah that we already found, break it into three parts, make it applicable to their lives, wrap it up with a nice conclusion, and then send everybody to the Kiddush. Okay, that's the format. You have no, spi- oh, here's another piece. I don't want to forget this. You got to stop to breathe. I'm not stopping to breathe. I, I remember now only because I'm giving myself a headache. You got to stop to breathe. The oilam needs time to chop what you're saying, to decide whether or not they agree or disagree. By the way, I heard it said very beautifully to me. A person has to stop seeing their drusha as a one-way talk. It's a dialogue. Yes, nobody else is speaking during your drusha, but you're, you're having a conversation with everybody here. You're having a conversation. You could tell by the looks on their faces if you've done this enough, whether or not you're talking to the wall, you're talking to hear yourself speak, or whether or not you're, 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 you're bothering them, or you're, you're getting to them, or you're getting in the kishkas for them to think about this issue, right? You, you want to, you want to do that. So pause, like let it sink in. Let it sink in. Let ideas sink in. You throw your big idea out there. Why would God throw us out of a land that he brought us back to? He knows we're going to make mistakes and be imperfect. Let it sit. Let it sit. Don't go screaming again. Let it sit. Let it just sit there. Let it sink in. Whatever happens, happens. Okay? And then jump back in. Now, this is another big nugget. A big episode. Most people who prepare speeches never think to prepare this. And to me, this is one of the most important parts of your speech. You got to prepare transitions. How are you going to get from idea one to idea two? Oh, I'll just go to the next one. No, you won't. You're going to have a terrible idea. Getting from, if you don't plan, how are you going to get from the hotel to the Cabo airport? You're going to make a mess of things. You got to prepare. You also got to prepare your transitions. So what I will do when I write a drusha is I will make point number one, point number two, point number three, and I'll make an indent will be how am I transitioning from this to this? How am I transitioning from, uh, from this one to that one? So for example, here's a speech I gave once. Okay, here's a speech I gave once. Oh, the, oh I actually wrote down the nugget that I drew, drew people in with. What I opened with was Pixar, the uh, animation company, has 22 rules of writing a good story. At the bottom of all of them, I didn't read it, at the bottom of all of them is the driving force of a good story is always imagination. What role does imagination play in Judaism? Pause, put it away. Then I bothered people. Question one. There's a custom that some people have, some Moroccans and even some Hasidim, that on the seventh day of Pesach, you leave out a bucket water and you watch the bucket and you imagine the water splitting. And you, and you, what does that achieve by imagining the water splitting? But it's not splitting right now. What are you doing? Problem number one. Question number two. Every Yantif has some mitzvah attached to it, some Maisa mitzvah. What is the new Maisa mitzvah for these second days of Yantif? We spoke about that a little yesterday morning. What's that new Maisa mitzvah? Okay cause a problem. I cause the balagan now. Two questions. Disrupt people. Make the questions better, stronger. Disrupt people. Now, once you go into your mahalach, by the way, you could jump right into the parsha nut, to the parsha. You could jump right in whatever you're in. I did it this time around, and I'm giving you a new format that I didn't give you before. I jumped in with a story. I went with a story and then laid out 
applications to the story. So you could do that as well. I told the story how I went to go see the Amshan of a Rebbe. And when it, when it comes to seeing the Amshan of a Rebbe, he's on his own time schedule. He's laning Shabbos afternoon mincha. He's laning that on Tuesday. Like everything is out of whack over there. So already that's a juicy story. You can imagine that. Picturing a Rebbe laning on Tuesday Shabbos mincha. How did he do that? Like it's bothering people. It's perfect. A story that's going to bother people is perfect. Then I said how I had to wait for the call. I had to keep a phone by my head while I was sleeping to wait for the call to see the Amshan of a Rebbe. I got the call 4.30 a.m. to come see the Amshan of a Rebbe. And he was reading uh, the laning and it was about the Makos. And I saw him actually at 4.30 a.m. jump back in fright from a Tzfardea. Like jump back. Um, Pachat on his face like he was there. And my drusha then was it dawned on me that the real Yesod is Chayavodim Lira Sasatzmo. The Torah is not meant to be commemorated. It's meant to be lived. It's meant to be alive. It's meant to be tasted in front of us as it is. Basher Husham, right there. That's, that's the makor for that minag that seems strange to us. That minag of Chayav Adam Liras Asatzmo, to live it now. And I argue that's the Maisa Mitzvah of the second day Zayantif. After working on ourselves on the first day of experiencing a Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, of going through the Haggadah, by the time you get to the second days, you're now living in the Mitzvah itself. You're living as it is. And imagination lets us bring to ourselves what the eyes cannot see. So you need a transition. How am I going from that story? So let's say the story of the Amshan of Rebbe. I saw his face as he read about Svardea. There was utter pachet on his face. Watch this. This is a transition. That pachet on the Rebbe's face, that, my friends, is the answer to what these second days of Yontif are all about. Boom, go. You, you see, if you didn't plan that, what are you going to do? The pachar on the Rebbe's face that he saw and he saw the Tzvardea. The second day is the Yantif, we don't have pachar on our face. What, by skipping the transition, you've made it harder for your oilam to understand what you're doing right now. You know what you're doing because you prepared the speech. They don't know what you're doing. You need to walk them there. And the transitions between the parts of the speech gets them from A to B to C. Otherwise, they may not get there. You think it's pushing, it's obvious. To you, it's obvious because you have the speech in front of you. They're going to forget the first, and you walk them there. Some people summarize at the end. Rabbi Pesach Kron is big into summarizing at the end of his drushes. He loops back around. Um, he'll do that often and he'll go there. Now let's talk about special events when they ask you to give a dar Torah. It's your, it's your cousin Zofrof. It's uh, the, the grandmother's Sheva Brachas. They want you to say a few words. What are you going to do? Okay. First guy gets up there. He says, we know the Gemara tells us, Ish and Isha, there's a hey and a vav, without the Yud, without Hashem's name, just, without a Yud in between the Isha and the Isha, just Ish, it's fire. Right? The Yud and the hey is fire. You know what the Gemara tells us, right? Ish, Ish has a Yud, Isha has a hey. Without the hey, without the Yud, Hashem's name, it's just Ish, it's fire. And it consumes you. You have to bring Hashem into the marriage. Okay, and everybody's looking to see when they're bringing the next course of the Sheva Brochus food out and no one's listening to you anymore because you just repeated a Gemara that they've heard at 97 other Sheva Brochus. Okay, you got it. They asked you to speak. You got to make it momentous. Again, you don't have to do a roast. You may not be the guy they're calling up to roast the, the guy or roast the couple or roast anyone. I'm not a big roasting fan. If you, unless you are specifically asked to be the roaster, it's not your job to do it. Don't, don't get deprecating of anybody. 
I'm very against that. It never, it more often than not, does not go well. Somebody wants to kill you, even if your best friend who's getting married is laughing. The, the, the grandmother wants to kill you, the cousin. They're never going to have you speak anywhere again. If that's your intention, then roast away. Okay, so this is, this is the avoda. How do you make it momentous? I think what we did for the drusha on a microscopic level could be done here at a Shever Brochus, at a Pigeon Aben, whatever you're speaking about. You have to pick something that dances off the page, that's colorful, that you can, that has flavor to it. I'll often do this trick. I will, Dafka, look for a Dvar Torah related to a couple, related to a Shevrabrach, related to a wedding, whatever it is, from somewhere that's fascinating for them to hear. Uh, I'll give you an example. They're fascinated if you quote something from somebody who was the last Italian Rosh Yeshiva. No one's expecting an Italian to show up at the Sheva Brachas. Not in a million years were they expecting to hear that. Now, that's a little harder. Where do you have that? I have a full safer of Divrei Torah and the Parsha from the Italian Gonim. I have that. That's easy. That's not fair for you guys, right? That's not fair. Who has that in the, on their shelf? Okay. My point is, pick something from a different place than where everybody else is. If you're in a room full of Lubavitchers, I don't know if it's Kfir, I'm allowed to say this. If you're a room full of Lubavitchers, I would say, go get YU. If you're in a room of YU students, go Lubavitch. Just, just read the room and go different. Read the room, see who's going to be there, see the Oilam, and go something they're not expecting. Once you go that route, it's, it's wonderful. They're listening now. You have their attention. Hold the veal chop. I'll have it in five minutes. This I want to hear. I haven't heard something in five years from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. He's going to share it with me now. I want to hear it. So number one to pike interest is to go away from what they're used to. Is to go away from what they're used to. That's one, one way to do it. Another way to do it is an anecdote related to the situation. And then you wrap in a Dvar Torah. For example... You're asked to speak at a uh, Sheva Brachas for a wedding, okay? So you could then, you can Google a statistic, you can Google something about marriages, you can Google something about, uh, uh, you know, about, they just found, you know, there's, there's, they have this book called The Love Languages, that every couple should know the important love languages that everybody has. The research has just shown, by the way, there's, they found a sixth love language. That's not, it's just a random fact that nobody there knows. It's a random tidbit, a random trivia nugget that nobody there knows. Google, who got married on this day in American history? Everyone here tonight is a tremendous schuss that we're here. The wedding fell out the same night that George Washington got married. It's crazy, no one's expecting it, but it's colorful enough that now they're listening. You got their attention. This is the same thing as, as George Washington's wedding falls out on this night. Right? Why is that important? Because George Washington, then you go on a journey with them. George Washington, there's a letter of his in the Newport Synagogue. He gave a bracha to the Newport Synagogue in Newport, Rhode Island. Just Google the letter. There's a Pusik there too. You find the Pusik and then you give a nugget of advice. Here, let's do it. We'll do it together. That's what we'll do. Here we go. Uh, hold on. Takes a second. To get into my phone takes longer. Okay, here we go. George Washington's... George Washington's message... Newport Synagogue. Let's see what comes up. Here. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of as if it were the indulgence of one class of people that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights. 
right? It's not, his message is not that tolerance should be for one people and not for other. But rather it's something that's there for everybody. I'm reading this, you know what I'm thinking? The dignity that a couple has to show each other, the covet of Brias, it's ingrained from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that it's your right for each of you, not for one person, for each of you. The covet of Brias, the respect that you have to have for each other. If they ask you to speak for longer at a Sheva Brachas, you do find three things that George Washington randomly said and you connect it to something, something Torahic. And that's exciting. They'll, I promise you, they'll never forget your Dvar Torah at the, at the Sheva Brachas. It might be a little meshuggah for you. You're thinking I'm crazy right now as you're looking at me. I'm good at reading the room. It's okay. But when you go, I'm giving you a muscle. I always take it to the extreme. When you go out there, you leave them with something. They're never going to remember the random piece. You leave them with something. There is another way without doing that. The other way is if you are really close to that person and you truly talk from the heart. That's another way to be memorable at a Shevardachas. If you truly talk from the heart, and you say, you know, I never shared this with you. I never shared this with you. But all the years that you were my bigger brother, I wanted to say thank you. When it's from the heart, Dvarim min alev, alev. And that's true. That goes back to the first part. The drusha too. If you are real, if you're authentic, that goes right through to people. You could skip all my advice. If you are authentic when you, oh, there's nothing worse. This, remember this now. There's nothing worse on someone giving advice who has no right to give advice. You're a single bacher. They asked you to speak because you came back from yeshiva. You never got married and you give advice on marriage. You'll be surprised how much people do this. It's the most cringeworthy thing. When you hear someone getting up giving advice who has no... This person's giving advice. They've been married four times. Don't do it. Just, go, just say thank you to the chassan kawa that they even asked you to speak. They don't do it. So... So my point is also, sometimes you're going to be in a place where you are not roy for advice. So don't give advice. No one needs you to give advice to Shevrach because you're speaking Shevrach. Say something nice about them. Give Shevrach about them. Talk from the heart of how beautiful it meant to be here. There's four generations who are here and you're home free. This is true of every simcha. This is true of every uh, event. Obviously speaking by Levias and Spadim, I don't want to get into that now. That's a different, um, that's a different avoda. That's a different avoda altogether. I want to give you an advice on something I told you yesterday, if you were here. You want to keep a running list of golden nuggets like I have. I keep them by year. Just great divrei Torah that you hear over the course of the year. And you'll save them and you'll use them when you need to use them. Obviously, if you're not talking to anybody, you'll never hear them. If you're never listening to Rabbi's drushes, if you're never listening. Everybody who's speaking, I, I, I have philosophy like this. If somebody's speaking, even if they're a lousy speaker, they're going to say something. Take one idea. Just take, commit yourself if you're already stuck in a shirim and it can't get out. Let's say you were sitting here because you had to finish benching and I started the shir and now you're stuck, right? What you should do is you should at least commit. He's rambling. I'm going to get at least one thing from him. One thing. Just give me one. Stack them up. By the time, if you listen to 20 bad speeches but you got one thing from each, you now have 20 great ideas. Just take one thing from them. It's all you got to do. Take one thing and write it down. And be able to put it there And it's uh, I'll tell you something I, just, I see here on my nugget sheet Something I just saw Because I'm very into now The, the Ger Rosh Hashiva Rav Shol Alter Listen to this This is so beautiful The code That they know The Redeemer Was going to call them out Was Pakod Pakadati Right? That was the code The code that Moshe Was going to give them And that's how they know So ask Rav Shol Alter What if somebody Stole the codes? 
What if somebody was listening in when like Moshe's looking in the mirror, practicing, pakot, pakot. No, let's try it again. Pakot, pakot. He's practicing. What if somebody was listening in and stole the coats? So listen to what Shal Alter says. Shal Alter says, Pakot Pekarati reminds us of Psochim Lamid Vav, also those who learned the beginning of Ksuvis, where liquid is Dam Mifkat Pokid. Mifkat Pokid means liquid is separate from the pre. The juice inside the fruit is Mifkat Pokid. It's kept there, but it's separate from the fruit. So therefore, says Rav Shol Alter, the person who comes to help them, um, the person believes that it's not their job, meaning comes to help them, believes that they are not their job description. But it's something deeper inside. It's not going to be the words. It's going to be something separate, Mifkat Pokid, that's inside the Goel. That when they see him and those words come out, it's going to click. It's going to click. It's like a double infrared. You got to put the passcode in, but it's also reading the eyes. That's how the door opens. When Moshe comes and says these words, if someone steals the code, nothing's going to happen. When they see Moshe's heart with those words, every door is going to open. Every door is going to open. One more from Rav Sholalter that I just love. Uh, Snapir, right, his fins, and right, Snapir v'kas keset. Right, so the Gemara in, in Nida says if we know that if every, uh, right, if every kosher fish, right, a Snapir, why do you need to mention the kas keset? Right, why do you need both? Right, famous, you don't need both. If you have one, why do you need the other to be mentioned? So the Gemara in Nida says, lahagdil Torah yadir, to, to make Torah great. Right, lahagdil Torah. To make Torah great. So I have more things to learn about. What does it mean to make Torah great? So it says Rav Shol Alter. This is beautiful. You can use for Jewish. so nice. And you can get this kashras you can get multiple times. Especially if they ask you to speak at a kashras convention or a mashkiach gathering. Whatever it is. You have many opportunities for this uh, Dvar Torah. So he says like this. He says, The scales are the framework. It's the halacha. It's the structure. It's the structure. But the fins, they're what allow you to fly. They're what allow you to swim. They're what allow you to go forward. Judaism, of course you need the framework. You need the mitzvah. You need the shulchan aruch. You need the basics. But what you do with it and how you push yourself, that's lahag dil Torah. You want to make Torah great? Keep the basics, of course. But now you got to make something with it. You got to add passion to it. You got to add, you got to, you know, put your own kavana behind it when you're doing it. And you got to make it soar. That's lahag dil Torah. I mean, why do you need the, the scales and the fins? You also need the fins because to teach you lahag dil Torah, that's the way you make Torah great. Not just the basis, basics, but going beyond, but, but doing amazing performance behind it. I'll tell you some quirky ideas for a drusha just in our last couple of minutes here. Um, what I did once was the following. I read the book, The Last Lecture by Randy Pausch. Randy Pausch was someone who was dying and he spoke in a college university and he spoke what he called was his last lecture, his final speech. So I went on a campaign for a year where I asked Rabbanim and guest lectures, if you had only one more speech to give, what would you give? What would you say? This was your last speech, what would you say? Not everybody understood the task entirely. There were some funny ones that uh, didn't make sense at all. But when you think about it like that, if you had to give one more drush, someone was asking you to give your... Well, so some people gave their best one. What's the best drush I've ever given? But I look at it as if you had one final message to give, what would be that message uh, you would leave over? You would give over. So to, to make a long story short, when I did my version of it, I started the following way, and this will just be a review of the way I prepare a drusha. 
I, first of all, you want to start with a big story. So I told the story how when I was in France with my family years ago in Paris, um, we were at the museum, the Pantheon, and my mother goes slower because she reads all the things by every sign. So my father and I were standing waiting to go to the, my sister to go to the next thing, to go for lunch probably, my stomach. And then, um, and all of a sudden we saw a bunch of people running towards the museum with guns. We had an option to leave my mother behind, but we didn't want to, we went back in. They rounded us all together, they locked the doors. Uh, they were smashing people in the head with guns and they held us hostage in there. And, um, and while I was there in this, they shoved us into this dark room. And while I was in there, there was a woman who was there who turned to me and a few others and she said to us, an English American tourist, and she said, did I do everything that I wanted to do in life? Did I, she, I mean, she, we really thought this was the end. Did I do everything I wanted to do in life? Now, by the way, a good drasha strategy, if you open with a powerful story that's heavy, like I don't know how many times you're gonna be held hostage in your life, so it's, you're not gonna, might have that Mount Madrega, but if you go for a big story, you'll, this is so good, but it's such a tease. Don't give people the end of the story at the beginning. You have them the whole way through. You have them the whole way through. They're gonna wondering if I got shot, am I alive still? Right? They're gonna wonder what's happening the whole way through. You keep them held, you don't go to the end, you keep going the whole way through. So once I had that, I'm set up by what she said to me. Did I live out my life the best way possible? Idea number one, idea number one that I wanna share with you that it dawned on me is don't fall into the trap of mediocrity. Every day, a good portion of it should be something meaningful. The Chazanish says there are some people who are benoni beshita, who are beshita, middle of the road people. The Amshinova Rebbe has a great line. The Amshin is Tosh, sorry, Tosh. The Tosha Rebbe said, every Jew should live with the following mantra, is spät, but noch yet zeit. It's late, but there still is time. It's spät, but noch yet zeit. It's late, but there still is time. What a great way to live your life. That it's urgent, you gotta get it done, but it's not too late. There really is still, still is something to do. So number one is to make each day your masterpiece. Rabbi Frand quotes a O. Henry story about the fallen leaf. You could find it online. He likes using it in one of his Shabbat Shuvah drushas. Uh, you could hear him use it. I'd like to put here a Radvaz. Radvaz is a great Dvar Torah. I'm going to write a Sefer one day, Blinetter, if God is in the time to do it, on Divrei Torah that you could use for all occasions. The Noam Elimelech from this morning that I told with the Zeh HaShar LaShem, that's an all occasion Dvar Torah. This is what I'm going to give you right now is an all-purpose Tvar Torah. Save it. You can use it for ev- you can use it for the grandmother's wedding, for the pigeon event. You can use it everywhere. The Radvaz was asked if a person is given one day to leave prison to go Davin, what day should they leave? And you can go through it. Should they go Yom Kippur? Should they go because it's so serious? Purim is fun. Maybe put a smile on your face. When should they leave? The Radvaz says right now. This is the moment. That's a beautiful. You could use that every time. Every speech over and over, you can use that radvaz because it ties into everything. Making the most of right now. Enjoy the moment. Be present at your chasana. Enjoy your pigeon event while you can. Whatever it is, like it, it's a very, it's a good foundational dvar Torah you could use all over the place. And it ties in, make your, each day your masterpiece. Next is, live your best self. My next advice would be, live your best self. I remember once meeting the Kalavar Rebbe. I met the Kalavar Rebbe and it was Arab Shabbos in Los Angeles. It's the Kalavar Rebbe, not the one with one hair, if you've ever seen him. There's another Kalavar Rebbe who, who does the mind reading thing. He tells you everything about you. So I went to go meet him there of Shabbos and he shook my hand and he froze. 
And I remember being nervous. Oh no, he knows everything about me now. He's going to tell me what I, what I did here, there. And he goes to me, Shalna lecha me'al raglecha. Ki kodeshu. Remove the shoes from your feet because where you stand is holy ground. So the Rebbe was telling me, he's like Hashem, he wants me to remove my shoes. I start taking it off. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, no, that's not what I meant. And he went to tell me a beautiful Dvar Torah. I once saw later that I think the Chafetz Chaim also said it. Shal nalecha me'al raglecha. Na'al from linolota delet. Remove the shackles from your feet. If you recognize ki asher ata omer alav, if you recognize wherever you're standing is holy ground, then you could fly. If you recognize that wherever you are in life, you can make that a holy moment, then you could soar. That's shal nalecha me'al raglecha ki amokom shatomelav ames kodeshu. Ravolbi says, Ravolbi says the following, Ravolbi says someone came to him and someone came to him and said, how come Hashem is not shining a light for me, the path, how I should go in life? He says, because you're busy looking at everyone else's path, not your own. Your path is led up. You're staring at everybody else's. And we live our lives, especially to prove to others that we're not like them, our parents. People for so long try to prove to their parents, I'm not like you. But, and all this time, never really knowing who they actually are. And Hashem has given us each a unique mission. Hashem has created you unique. And not to allow yourself to be defined by labels. The third advice I gave in this drusha was to drink from the gedolim. Drink from the gedolim. I like using the Wayne Gretzky Dvar Torah. The Wayne Gretzky Dvar Torah is good for all purposes also. Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky once said, what made him so great is not that he's the fastest, not that he's the strongest, not that he's the quickest, the smartest. Everybody was busy following the puck. I'm following where the puck is going to be next. That's such a gewaldic episode. That's Ezu Chacham Arosa Nolad. That's what that is. You've got to anticipate. Think of the bigger picture. Not, not small wins. Think bigger ideas. Uh, much bigger. And, and that's the whole idea here. And knowing who your Gedolim are, the guardians of our faith, we think we have it all figured out. The Gedolim have spent so much time working through. I spoke about gratitude in the same drusha, uh, making friendship a fine art. There's so much, there's so much. I'll just finish with the end of the story. They shoved us into a small room. People were crying. People were frantic. My sister was a mess. And all of a sudden, my father trips and he falls and he hits a button. Now, all the major museums have a secret trapdoor button so that if there's ever a fire or if there's a robbery, they can quickly smuggle the expensive stuff out the other way. My father hit the button by accident in the dark that opens the portal. We all started walking through the portal quickly. All of us started going, started going, started going. All of a sudden, we came around to the front of the building. Must have been 100,000 people already gathered around in Paris, France. My father raised his hand. We were there for 18 minutes underground. My father raised his hand as though we were in Vietnam for seven years. Uh, like this, like victory. And everyone erupted with cheers. And it was the cover of the Le Mans newspaper in 1991 that we were freed from these uh, anarchists who took over who took over the building. What's the moral of the story? I'm not exactly sure, but I thank you all for being here today. Shkoyach, everybody.